Hello everyone, and thank you for the continued support here on Patreon, and welcome back to another bonus episode. We are continuing our look on the Battle of Marathon, taking a bit more of a deeper dive than we had in the main series. In the main series episode, our purpose was to talk about the Battle of Marathon in the context of the unfolding events in Greece, since we were taking a chronological narrative approach there. But here on Patreon, we've been able to slow things down a little and focus on some areas of the battle in more isolation. We first went back and refreshed ourselves on the battle itself, but this time with a focus on questions that still hung over this battle two and a half thousand years later. These questions that we highlighted have now become the focus of the episodes that are following. Last episode, we looked at the Athenians and Persians' dispositions on the battlefield, as well as the likely locations they established their camps. Attempting to locate these camps had also gone a long way into understanding where the forces would have deployed. And when turning to the theories on both armies' deployments, we found two main interpretations emerge. One would look to take what Herodotus wrote literally, however relying on accounts over 50 years later, while the other would attempt to make military sense of the terrain and the objectives of both sides. This episode will be turning to the question of did the Greeks lack a tactical mindset, or was there more than just chance and reactionary actions taking place? We will focus on a few points in the battle where decisions were made and see if the Greeks were looking to influence the situation to their advantage. This will see us revisiting the placement of their camp, the decision to thin their battle line, and see if we can understand why they would advance on the Persian line at a run. But first, let's start with the concept of tactics on the battlefield. Tactics refer to the specific actions, manoeuvres or methods employed to achieve short-term goals, or objectives within a broader strategy. In military operations, tactics involve the practical implementation of plans to gain a competitive advantage or address specific challenges. Now, with that said, I also want to point out here that historians don't try and argue that the ancient Greeks lacked tactics full stop. For this episode, I wanted to get a concise title to get the point across. However, there appears to be debate on how far did Greek tactical thinking go. For example, it is thought that the Greeks developed their military tactics gradually making small changes to meet the changing battlefield, though the point here being that these were not dramatic decisions taken on the battlefield to deal with the situation they faced, or taking actions outside their traditional ways to help drive towards a larger goal. This view seems to have developed due to the style of warfare the Greeks were mostly engaged in during the Archaic period, this mainly seeing opposing Greek city-states going to war against one another and clashing in hoplite battles. The emergence of the hoplite itself would have been a tactical innovation, as it was an attempt to deal with the battles the Greeks would find themselves fighting. Though, many have argued this was a slow, gradual process that would eventually filter to other Greek cities. Once this mode of fighting was in place, it would change very little, and one can see that when trying to understand how a hot white battle unfolded, there appeared to be very little room for imagination. Though, what would happen when a Greek army would find itself having to face an army not built upon the established military concepts developed on the Greek mainland. The first decision that we are going to turn to is one that would have been made upon arriving at Marathon. This would be deciding where the Greek camp should be established. If we suppose that there was no tactical thought that would have gone into this, then one would think that they would have laid this down anywhere, preferably where it would have been most comfortable. However, from our look at the likely position, that was established last episode, it seems certain considerations had gone into where they would deploy it. 
One point I want to deal with first is that the establishment of the camps was put down due to religious reasons, rather than for military purposes. Herodotus would tell us that the camp was made on ground sacred to Heracles, so could this be the reason it was deployed where it was? Though, as we pointed out last episode, there were a number of locations around Marathon that were sacred to Heracles, and some closer to the village of Marathon. Perhaps a more comfortable place for a camp. The site that would be selected was a grove down on the southern coastal road, at the base of the mountains there. When looking at this location, it appears more than religious purposes, or pure chance went into selecting this site. To try and understand what the Greek commanders were thinking, we need to get a picture of what the Greeks were responding to. Before the Athenians would march to the Bay of Marathon, we would hear about an assembly deciding on how best to respond to the Persians' invasion. Some would be for remaining behind Athenian walls, while the other side of the argument wanted the Athenian army to march out and meet the Persians on the coast to prevent them marching onto Athens. This latter view would be the one that would be decided upon. So from this we can see the intent was to prevent the Persian force making it to Athens. This would also be made more imperative due to the entire Athenian army now away from the city. With this in mind, the commanders once arriving at Marathon would be seeking a way to prevent the Persians leaving the coast and marching inland. Perhaps the most ideal way to achieve this was to engage the Persians as soon as they arrived and defeat them in battle. Perhaps if one were not thinking in a tactical mindset, this might have taken place. However, upon arriving, it appears the Greeks were able to appreciate the size of the Persian force and saw this type of action as folly. It then appears the Greeks wanted to establish themselves defensively and await their allies, remembering the Plataeans were answering their calls, while it was thought they might get a Spartan force at their location if they held on long enough. In the meantime, the Athenians needed to hold the Persians in the Bay Area, while also ensuring that they were in a position that afforded them a defensive advantage. The position that they took up would block the exit from the Marathon Bay area, as the southern road was the only viable path for the size and supply needs of the Persian army, while the position around the grove sacred to Heracles would provide the Athenians with a tactical defensive advantage. The position was rough enough to prevent the Persians being able to effectively employ their cavalry, while the broken ground would also see the Persian infantry lose their cohesion if they tried to assault the Greek camp making them vulnerable targets for a deployed wall of shields and spears. The next point that we'll focus on would also take place before the battle would develop. More often than not, it's the decisions that are made before battle that would help lead to securing a favourable outcome. Preparation is key. This decision would be made on the day that the Battle of Marathon would finally be fought, after many days of the two armies standing off from one another. Herodotus would tell us that the two centre phalanxes would be thinned out to about half their depth. Just to remind ourselves here, each of the ten Athenian tribes would make up ten phalanxes on the battlefield. These phalanxes were made up of roughly 1,000 hoplites, if we assume the total number of 10,000 Athenians on the battlefield is accurate. These phalanxes were then arranged into columns and rows that would have seen each phalanx eight rows deep. So by thinning out the two centre phalanxes, they would become four rows deep, but these other four rows would then be placed next to the phalanxes that they were taken from, which would then see the frontage of these two phalanxes doubled. The purpose of the Athenians doing this to their line would be revealed to us by Herodotus, with him telling us that the Athenians were attempting to match the length of the Persian line. Due to the greater number of Persian forces, they were able to deploy a longer battle line, which during a battle would become an advantage to them, 
As once both sides engage, the ends of both the Persian lines would be able to get around each flank of the Greek line. This would be a disadvantage for most armies, but particularly bad for a Greek hoplite army, since their strength was in keeping the enemy to their front, where the collective shield wall and frontage of bristling spears was located. The hoplite was very vulnerable from the flank or rear. The Greek commanders were able to identify this issue that faced them on the day of battle, and were able to adapt to see that the flanks of the army would be protected from being enveloped. This appears to be a tactical consideration, but it also seems to be an issue that hoplite armies would have encountered in their past with wars against other Greek city-states, when there was a disparity between the numbers facing one another. Though I want to touch on perhaps another tactical consideration with this move that Herodotus doesn't mention. This would have to do with forcing the enemy's behaviour during the battle, forcing them to act in a manner you wanted them to. By thinning out the Athenian centre, the commanders were also making the centre of the Greek line weaker than the rest. A hoplite phalanx strength would come from the depth of their formations, affecting their stopping power and ability to hold the line. In future generations, some Greek armies would employ much deeper formations, with the Theban 50-row phalanx being one famous example. However, the Greek commanders had seen over the preceding days the Persians form up in their lines of battle as both sides would have prepared themselves for action on each day, and also engaging in posturing actions. Here they would have noticed that the heaviest armed troops were stationed in the centre of the Persian line, while the lighter troops made up the flanks of the army. This would be the makeup of the Persian line that Herodotus would describe on the day of battle. So we have to ask ourselves why would the Greek commanders make the centre of their line weaker when it would be going up against the strongest enemy troops? Wouldn't it make more sense to thin out the other areas of the line that would be facing lighter armed troops? This would appear to make more sense unless the Greeks had another tactical consideration in mind. Again, Herodotus makes no mention of this, but Herodotus, although a great writer for what he does cover, does not appear to be tactically minded or is not interested in battlefield tactics. Perhaps by weakening the centre and knowing this was where the strongest part of the Persian line would engage them, the Greek commanders were looking to set a trap that would focus on isolating the better part of the Persian army and removing them from the rest of their line. The idea here is that when both sides engage, the weaker part of the Greek line that was facing these troops would begin to give ground and fall back. This would see the enemy look to follow up their victory following the retreating Greeks. However, the rest of the Greek line, still with their full complement of eight rows, would remain in place. They would then focus on defeating the lighter troops in front of them, but instead of pursuing them, once they were defeated, they would reform and turn their attention to the Persian heavy troops who were now isolated behind the Greek line, and the cohesion lost as they attempted to pursue the retreating Greek centre. This would then see that a new battle line could be formed and would now be focused on this small group where the Greek line was now in a position to envelop this smaller contingent of Persian forces. It is hard for us to say for certain that this is what the Athenian commanders had in mind, since we don't have any insight into the finer details of what was being discussed between the generals. Herodotus just focuses on the question of if the Greeks should attack or not. He doesn't delve into the plans of attack. We just get actual movements and deployments, and we are left to understand ourselves why these actions and decisions were carried out. However, given that the battle would unfold in pretty much the exact way I just went over how a weakened centre would play to the Greeks' advantage, I think this becomes more than just a mere happy side effect of this deployment. 
Also added to this was the fact that the Greeks would have known that the strongest part of the Persian line was its centre. So it only makes sense that they would thin out their centre if they had another purpose in mind. Like I have said, if the only goal was to match the Persian frontage, reducing the phalanxes facing the weaker troops would prove to be much more effective. I just want to point out here, before we move on, one of the most famous uses of this tactic on the battlefield would come in 216 BC, where Hannibal, leading a Carthaginian army, would inflict one of the most complete defeats on the Roman Republic at the Battle of Cannae. The last element of the battle I want to focus on today is where the order would be given for the Greek line to advance onto the Persians. Herodotus would make comment on how the Athenians would go about advancing as it was completely out of the ordinary. He would tell us that they would be the first Greeks that we know of to advance on the enemy at a run, while supposedly the Greeks would have to cover about a mile of ground to get to the Persian lines. I do want to point out here that many have questioned if the Greeks actually did run into contact, as it has been put forward that their cohesion would be lost and they would be too tired to fight once getting to the Persians. Though having served in the military myself, a focus is placed on being able to fight even after having exerted oneself beforehand, and this forms some of the most basic training for a soldier. While the run that Hrodus mentions could well have been a quick trot, or at least something faster than the usual march into battle, this would see that a force would be able to remain in formation, plus I think if a faster run did occur, it wouldn't have been until the final stages of the advance across the open ground, for reasons we'll get to. Once again though, we are left in the dark of why the Greek commanders made this decision. It would seem as though that this would have been a decision that was made while the forces were forming up, since we know that they would have arrived in a cohesive order ready to fight once reaching the Persians. If this had been a spare of the moment order, we would expect to see great confusion setting along the Greek line, as it was an unorthodox tactic for a hoplite army. But for this decision to even have been considered, there must have been factors before the Athenians that would warrant such a tactic to be employed. So we're going to cover a couple of considerations that may have seen the commanders want to close with the Persians as quickly as possible. Again, the reason for this run is not specifically stated, but given what is mentioned around the battle, we can make some educated guesses. The first consideration that may have seen the Greeks want to close the gap between the two sides as fast as possible will be due to the consideration of cavalry. The wider point of the Persian cavalry at Marathon is going to form the subject of our next bonus episode, this being around where they were, since we don't hear anything about them. However, for now, I just want to focus on the point that it may have been a consideration the Greeks had to take into account at this point. We don't know where the cavalry was, but theories have been put forward that we'll look at in more depth next episode. Though the main point here would be the fact that they were away from the main Persian line somewhere. The Greek line would be very vulnerable to the cavalry if they were caught out in the open ground by them. So the thought here is that when the commanders saw the opportunity where the cavalry were not going to be a direct threat, they sprung into action. Advancing at a run would mean that the cavalry would be less likely to catch them on the advance, while it was taking time to recall them back to the Persian line. The next consideration, and the one that I think the Athenian commanders had in mind when making the decision to advance at a run, was the fact that the Persians employed missile troops in their army, mainly in the form of archers. Greek hoplite armies didn't tend to have these sorts of troops on the battlefield when facing one another 
But now, Athens was fighting a very different sort of army than what was usual on the Greek mainland. Also, perhaps their encounter with the Persians at the Battle of Ephesus, where Athens assisted in the Ionian Revolt, had taught them something about how to fight these types of troops. This is where I think the commanders may have planned that the army would transition into a run or some sort of faster pace when they reached within range of the Persian archers. This would have seen only the final stages of the advance done at a run mentioned, with the purpose being to reduce the amount of time the Greeks would be subjected to Persian archery. So it does appear this run would be a tactic employed to deal with a unique situation to overcome Athens' weakness when facing an army that the Hoplite line had not been developed to fight. The Hoplite phalanx had evolved to fight other Greek phalanxes. The Athenian commanders were overcoming and adapting to the new battlefield conditions. So there we have a few examples at Marathon that would seem to suggest that the Athenians were employing a tactical mindset on the battlefield. Although they would react to the situation unfolding before them, they appear to not be merely reactionary without any other thought in mind. These examples would highlight that they were looking to the bigger picture of the battle and how they could influence a favourable result by looking beyond the immediate situation in front of them. We saw that this thinking had begun as soon as the Athenians arrived at Marathon. The Persian force they encountered appears to have been larger than they had expected while the commanders knew they had a Plataean army and possibly a Spartan one yet to arrive. This saw that their thinking went to the defensive, while also keeping in mind the whole point of marching out away from Athens to meet the enemy. By establishing their camp on the southern coastal road, they were able to defend the only viable pass out of Marathon for the Persian army, therefore preventing them from marching onto Athens. While they also selected terrain features that allowed them as a smaller force to effectively defend their camp. It also had appeared that the Greek commanders were going beyond the immediate situation that lay before them when deploying the Greek line. We do hear that the centre was thinned out so that they could match the length of the Persian line and prevent being enveloped. Though it appears this thinning out of the centre also had another purpose. The strongest part of the Persian line was their centre, so weakening the Greeks didn't make sense unless they were looking to influence and take control of the battle through a tactical decision that would see the Persian centre drawn within the Greek line, and isolated from their own. This did end up taking place at Marathon, and would see that the entire Persian force would route back to their ships because of this breakup of their line. While then we saw that tactics were arrived at to help deal with an enemy that a hoplite army had not been used to dealing with. By ordering the Greeks to march across open ground to the enemy at a run or a faster pace, they would find that they would be less vulnerable to any cavalry nearby, while also reducing the time that they would have come under missile fire, both of these elements being major components of a Persian army. So now that we have looked at the question of if the Athenians were acting in a tactical mindset, we will be turning to another question next bonus episode. Next time we will be looking at one of the biggest questions to come out of the Battle of Marathon. Where was the Persian cavalry? We know they were with the Persian army that set out on the campaign, and we hear about them on the way through the Aegean, but once at Marathon, we hear no more about this arm of the Persian army. Thank you everyone for your continued support here on Patreon, I greatly appreciate it, and I enjoy having you all along for the ride. Thanks again, and I will see you next month for our next bonus episode.